Well, good morning, Harvest. How are you doing this morning? Good? It's such a privilege to worship with you this morning. I don't know if it was the coffee I had that's making, that's like, I'm amped right now, but I'm pretty sure it was the worship. And uh, the feedback from last night after my message was like, wow, you were, uh, uh, what, what, what was the word? Frantic at the beginning of your message. And that was a two cup of coffee message. This is a one cup of coffee. So I'm hoping not to be as frantic at the beginning here. Um, But I am fired up about God's word and I'm fired up about what he is doing in the midst of our church and even in this little series in the book of Jonah and what he's been doing in my heart even studying this passage this week. So if you would turn into the book of Jonah chapter two. And if you're like me, Jonah is the hardest book of the Bible to find. It's all of two pages in scripture, and it's like somewhere kind of in the right side of the middle of the Bible. So I'll give you plenty of time to find it, but Jonah chapter two. My name is Chris. If you don't know who I am, I'm the campus pastor for the Grand Haven campus, and it is a privilege to be here this morning at the Spring Lake campus to bring God's word. And uh, so Jonah chapter two, that's where we are going to land in a little bit. But last week, we saw in detail how Jonah uh, was called by God to bring a message of repentance to an awful people, the Ninevites, and he responded to God with like, nope, not doing it, and started his run away from what God was calling him to do. God said, go up to, to Nineveh. Jonah, go up to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah, out of fear, went down to Joppa to step down into a boat headed to the farthest place in the known world, to then go even farther down in that boat to sleep away his disobedience and his guilt and shame, which was breeding his despair, to then be met by a storm, to then be thrown down into the water, to sink down into the depths, swallowed by a fish, to swim down into the deep. Are we sensing a theme? Jonah's rebellion is leading him farther and farther down. God says, Jonah, go up. Jonah goes down in rebellion farther and farther and farther away from what God was calling him to. And here's a question. What is God calling you to right now that you're running from? And you're like, for goodness sake, Chris, I just sat down. Like, I just got my coffee up to my mouth. I just, I'm maybe just now starting to eat my donut. We just had an amazing time of worship, and you have to lay it on that thick right now. Like, give me a minute before you pour it on so thick. But I, I, I know we're in this series of Jonah, and this happened to Jonah, but please don't be naive to not understand why God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, would include this story in his word, in the canon of Scripture, in the storyline of all of scripture all together for us to see that we need to relate the story to ourselves. We need to personalize the story to our own circumstances and situations wherever we land today. And I love how Hebrews 4 says it about God's word. God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of joint and marrow and discerning between soul and spirit. As we read God's word and stories like the story of Jonah, my prayer for myself as well as our church is that as we travel this together is that God's spirit would enlighten our eyes and our souls to not only read the story but have his spirit read us in the process of reading scripture. You see what I mean? We need his 
Spirit to read us, singling out those things in our lives that we think no one knows about. Maybe we even think God himself doesn't know about the thing that we are thinking about right now in our lives that we know we're running from the Lord in, that we know we are running in rebellion against God. Maybe no one else knows about it. Maybe we think God doesn't know about it. And then his word, as it reveals to us, exposes it, and he throws that thing under a microscope. Maybe even now you're feeling it, and it leaves us with a choice in the moment. You know, one of my uh, favorite things is you know, when you go to a sports game and it's in the context of a stadium and they have that giant big screen, the big LED screen, and during a halftime or during a timeout or during a, uh, you know, something that's happening where they're not actually in gameplay, what do they do? They throw on the song, everybody dance now, and then they take the camera and they move around uh, the audience. They move around the crowd, and like, I live for that moment. Most people would be terrified for that, but like, I have perfected the Carlton dance, which I won't show you now, but like, I'm just like sitting there like, yes, 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 me, 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 me. Um, But most people, I would say, I'm weird, okay? Most people wouldn't be that way. Most people would be like enjoying the embarrassment of other people who are like, oh no, I gotta dance, and they're trying to do something. And then all of a sudden, they recognize the face on the screen, and it's a different story, isn't it? Have any of you ever had that happen to you? Where you're in, uh, where you're in the stadium, all of a sudden you you reckon, I'm I'm on the I'm on the big screen, right? and no one ever knows where to look. Too, they're like, you know. <laughs> Sometimes God's word does that to us, doesn't it? It's like you're watching the big screen of the story of Scripture and the timeline of Scripture, and you're you're laughing at the embarrassment of the Israelites and their stupidity of of doing what they did in the desert, or or, or even Jonah running from what God called him to do in Nineveh, because we know the end of the story. It's like, why would you run? You don't, and and how stupid are they? And all of a sudden, boom, it's like the camera turns on us and we're exposed. That thing that you thought was hidden that habit that you thought no one knew about, that thing that is driving you farther and farther away from the Lord, and it's now brought to the big screen, and it's exposed, and you have a choice. What is God calling you to step up to the plate right now in your life that you are choosing to stay in the sidelines, choosing to stay in the bullpen, choosing to stay on the bench? See, we all have Ninevehs in our lives. We all have areas in our lives that God has or is currently convicting of us, us of that don't glorifying uh, him and he's calling us to face up and repent, however, because of fear. Maybe it's because of our own comfort, because of our own laziness. We choose instead to run. Frankly, it would just be too hard. It might be too of much of an inconvenience. It's too embarrassing. It's too far out of our comfort zone. The sad thing is we know it's hurting us we, we know it's probably affecting other people around us at this point, and we know it doesn't honor the Lord, but we try to pretend it's nothing. It's not a big deal. It's not as bad as what it could be. It's not worth doing what God wants me to do right now. And so we run deeper and deeper, farther and farther away from God, who has made so many amazing promises to us in scripture that we fail to remember when we run in rebellion, don't we? And I haven't given you really any specific examples, but I can see in your eyes, you know what I'm talking about. 
You may even know exactly what it is that God has turned the camera on in your life and put it up on the big screen right now saying, hey, that's the thing. That's the thing. We're dealing with that today. So you have a choice. Do I do what God is calling me to do now? Or like Jonah, do I keep running until I literally get to the lowest place possible? Look back on Jonah's situation. How many times could he have had that, that just ounce of clarity to see that he was running and, and, and repent? It could have been down at Joppa when he was about to step on the boat. You know what? I probably shouldn't do this. God, I'm sorry. I'll turn around. Maybe it was when he was, uh, I mean, at that point, he, the boat has already left. Maybe, who, who knows, how many times could he have turned around and yet he didn't? In every case, he dug his heels farther and farther and farther down. In fact, even to the point when he says, throw me over the boat, many scholars believe he was, he was to the point where he's like, listen, I need to, I still, I'm, I'm still going to run farther and farther away from God. Maybe if they just kill me, then God won't make me do what I, I know he's calling me to do. Because in each and every case, he dug his heels and continued to run away in rebellion. And the big question for this morning is, how long and how far will you run from God? Ultimately, this is a, a question of lordship. The heart of the question of running and rebellion is a question of lordship. Who is the boss? Who is in control? And will I submit to him? That was Jonah's issue. There wasn't a question on what God was calling him to do. It wasn't like in the post-game interview, Jonah's sitting at the, the press conference like, guys, listen, I just didn't, I didn't know what he was telling me. I didn't understand the mission. I didn't understand the call or the play. It was done with like sign language and weird codes and things. If I just would have known exactly what he wanted me to do, then obviously I would have done it, but it was too confusing. No, that wasn't it. It was clearly understood, and it was met with an apathetic, insubordinate response, not willing to submit to the creator of the universe as Lord. It's interesting. Many people are more than happy to recognize Jesus as Savior, but recognizing him as Lord is a different story. Did you know no one makes Jesus Lord? You don't make Jesus Lord. And you know, we've grown up, you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. You need to make him Lord. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The question is, will we bow the knee? Will we submit to his authority? Will we submit to his word and recognize his lordship in our lives? That changes everything about how we live, doesn't it? We don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord, and he's like, hey, bro, when are you gonna recognize this? It's the difference between I don't know and I don't care. And I'm telling you, church family, this isn't just a Jonah issue. This is the issue of humanity. I run into this in my own life all the time as I'm struggling through things and in different seasons of life that I'm going through where you have those divides in the road and which way to go to honor the Lord or not honor the Lord. This is the issue that I run across with people on a weekly basis on the phone at our church or in person counseling and different things. I tell you what, most counseling cases aren't informational, they're directional. Most people in crisis aren't struggling with understanding what the right thing to do is. It's the will and the desire to do what they have been called to do and what God is telling them to do. God makes it pretty simple, and yet the will to do it is pretty difficult. James 4, 17 even recognizes this. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
It's a lordship issue. And how long will we run knowing that every step farther away is grieving the heart of God? It's hurting us, and ultimately it will be hurting others around us. Because here's the reality that we see in Jonah, and one of the reasons why I believe God has allowed in his infinite wisdom to provide this story in his word, in the canon of scripture, for us to learn from it, it's our first point. Point number one, God is not afraid to let you hit rock bottom. God is not afraid to let you hit rock bottom in your rebellion. If it takes getting to the absolute rock bottom for you to finally look up, he'll let you get there. And so let's jump into the passage now. In fact, I'm gonna go one verse before chapter two in verse 17 of chapter one. It says, and the Lord appointed, and that word appointed is an interesting term. It's later used for a plant in the next chapter, but uh, it's this idea that God created this fish, specifically this thing appointed for a specific purpose, a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wrap your minds around that just for a quick second. At what lengths is God willing to go to to pursue you in your folly and your rebellion to go back to him? Like he went, he, he created a new species of fish in the moment, I believe, to come up and to swallow Jonah in the midst of his rebellion, sinking deep into the sea. And somehow that fish had a stomach big enough to house a human. That stomach must have been producing oxygen, which most stomachs don't do that. And it must have had a very slow digestive system for him to be able to sit in there three days and three nights without being, you know, disposed of, you know? And I have a feeling this is probably something that Jonah was thinking about in the moment as he was sitting there in the belly of the fish and like, I'm still alive. How is this possible? Maybe God has done something here. He's literally at the lowest point of his life and God still wasn't caught off guard and God still didn't let him go. And so Jonah decides after going down for so long in that moment of despair, of absolute rock bottomness, what does he do? He finally looks up. And that's where we get to chapter two. So let's pick it up here. Verse one says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Listen, God is not afraid to let you get to the very bottom of the pit if he knows that's what it's going to take for you to finally come to your senses. But in that moment, we have to realize that our sin, our rebellion, our running from the Lord still is going to have earthly consequences. It's interesting. One of the things that I get asked a lot in the context of counseling or, uh, or walking through a situation with people in their lives is like, okay, well, if God is loving, and I believe he is loving, but how come, like, you know, I, yeah, I know, I get it. I sinned, and I'm now uh, facing this impending uh, reality of the consequence of my sin, but if God is loving, why wouldn't he remove that consequence from me. I recognized that I sinned. I, 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 I confessed it, and now I'm repenting of the sin, but how come God isn't taking away the punishment of that sin on this earth right now? Any parents in the room? 
All the parents laugh. You know where I'm going, right? I think parents understand this very clearly. Without consequence, lessons are rarely learned. The discipline of God is not comfortable, but it is profitable. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. God allows his natural created order and created law to effectuate that discipline in our lives for many reasons. Uh, One, can I just give you one? To get our attention. Earthly consequence to our rebellion and our sin uh, is God's way of getting our attention. Sometimes we get so lost in the pursuit of sin and rebellion that God actually throws a stick into the wheel of our lives. You know what I'm talking about? Just the other day, it was last Monday, um, my parents had the kids, so it was my wife and I, and we often on Monday nights will invite Christopher Bradshaw over. He's the youth pastor up at Harvest Fremont. He seems kind of bored a lot, so we invite him over to watch the Marvel movies. We're kind of working our way through that. But this last Monday, like if you remember Monday, it was too beautiful of a night to be stuck inside watching a movie. And we're like, we're not watching a movie. We're gonna go on a bike ride. So we decided to go on this bike ride, and um, I, there was kind of a miscommunication on where we were going, and I'm leading the bike ride. And so, you know, apparently we were gonna go down to the lakeshore, but I thought we were gonna be going into Hoffman Park and run around, uh, or ride around Hoffman Park, that loop, and then come back, okay? Not important part of the story, besides the fact that I'm leading, and we turn into Hoffman Park, and, um, and my wife is like, well, no, Chris, no, 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 we're going, we're going to the lakeshore. I thought we were going to the bayou. No, we're going to the lakeshore. I'm like, no worries. Here's a quick path. Let's cut through the woods here. We cut through the woods. I turn. I'm leading. I get to the point where I get right into the woods. Next thing I know, I am falling. I don't know what happened. I'm falling off the bike, and I'm bleeding from the ankle, and I hear my wife saying, oh, no, not your face. (laughs) I wasn't, I never hit my face. I didn't do anything near my face, but I guess in the moment of crisis, my wife's most important thing in her mind of me getting hurt is my face. So if at the end of this message you're angry with what I said and you want to come up and punch me, do it in the arm for the sake of my wife, not my face. Um, But, and she was right behind me. She saw what happened. She's like, nothing you did. You couldn't have done anything. You were just riding and you hit, like your wheel hit the back of this root that was going through the path and it must have been wet from the dew that evening because it just went like completely just like the rug was taken right out from underneath my bike and next thing I know, I'm bleeding from the ankle and my wife is concerned about my face. (laughs) Why does God throw sticks in our lives sometimes? Why does does the rug sometimes in um, our life situation seem to be pulled out from underneath our feet? It's God in his grace saying, turn around. Don't keep going this way. The hurt will only get worse. You're going the wrong way. Stop now. Stop now. Warning. Warning. Recently, I had coffee with a guy who is... He's now on fire for the Lord. I, I love this guy. And he's, uh, it, you know, we were talking over coffee about his testimony. And he's sharing with me about how, you know, a couple years back or so, he was really going through a season of life where, you know, he wouldn't say he was, he had a drinking problem, but he said he really enjoyed drinking. And in that season, he recognized that there was some times where he would get a little bit too far into, uh, you know, that drinking that night or whatever it was that he was like, you know what? My prayer throughout that whole season was, God, give me more self-control. God, give me more self-control. 
Uh, he's like, never once in that time did I pray, God, take this from me because it's a monster growing in my heart. He said, God, just give me more self-control because I really like this thing that's not, that I'm not honoring you with, but I just want to ha- be more controlled with it. And, um, and so he, was say- he told me, he's like, I was just blind to the fact that this was going to destroy me if I wasn't careful. And uh, he, so he just tried to manage it and manage it and um, until uh, one night he found himself pulled over with the lights behind his car and he blew a point one. And uh, as I was talking with him again this week about it, getting his permission to be able to share this story from the pulpit, he, he said, he's like, Chris, I have to tell you, I wouldn't change anything about that night. I wouldn't change anything about what God allowed to happen in that situation. He's like, because just imagine, I could have hit somebody. I could have gone off the road or crashed into another vehicle and died myself, leaving my wife and my two kids alone for the rest of their, like, I, I, could, have, I could have really been in a completely different situation, but God in his grace allowed me to have that one DUI that got my attention Church, that's grace. The discipline of God is his grace in our lives. Most people probably wouldn't think that grace could hurt, but the discipline of God in effort to get our attention in life, he he doesn't have to do that. God doesn't have to engage in our lives. I mean, how how many billions of people are in the world and yet he chooses in your life, in this moment perhaps, to convict you of something, to throw the stick in your, the wheel of your life to get your attention. That's grace. It's a gift. And when we get to that point, we find ourselves in this pit of rebellion. We need to look up. And when we do, if we choose to look up in that moment, just like Jonah, what do we see? God is right there, and he meets you with open arms. Isn't that amazing? In fact, actually, it's point two. God answers your rebellion with his mercy. He answers your rebellion with his mercy. We need to look up. Let's pick up in verse four. It says, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. And what we see here is a very clear picture of what to do when you finally recognize that you hit the bottom. What to do when you finally recognize that you are at the lowest point. It's the same thing that Jonah did. It's two things. He recognized, one, his inability to save himself. I mean, he's in a fish, right? And number two, his only hope in that moment is appealing to God for mercy. Notice how this passage in a poetic way sets up an amazing picture of God's heart toward the hopeless. Jonah, by all rights and standards, is in the hopeless of hopeless situations. It says, weeds wrapped around his head uh, at the roots of mountains, like the deepest part of the sea, down to the land whose bars closed upon him forever, in the belly of a fish, possibly slowly having his skin dissolving away or being bleached and blistered by the stomach acid of the fish. And what does he say? What does he do? He finally looks up and he says, 
says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And why does he say the temple? It kind of seems a bit out of place, but what he's referring to is the dwelling place of God and God sitting on the mercy seat in his dwelling place. Jonah, in his hopelessness, comes to his senses and looks up to God to appeal for mercy. And notice how God responds. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. God looks at the rebellion. God sees him in his lowest of low places. And God chooses to pick him up out of the pit. Jonah appeals for mercy. And what does he get? He gets mercy. Jonah is at the end and he looks up and then God picks up so that Jonah can shape up to then be spit up so that he can go up to where God has finally called him to go. You see what happens? God's mercy reverses our rebellion. And that is such a gift. We just need to look up. And I get it. Maybe you're in a situation in your life going farther and farther down into that pit of despair, into that pit of hopelessness and ashamed even to ask for help. You're embarrassed too much where you don't want to trouble the Lord. Maybe uh, you've reached a level of hopelessness and whatever that thing is to think that God couldn't or shouldn't or wouldn't want to deal with you anymore. I'm telling you, that is a lie that the enemy is telling you. That is not the heart of God. It's simply not true that God is done with you. He's not. You're not too far gone. You're not too far deep. You're not too far hopeless. There's not a situation in this world, if you have breath to breathe right now and alive right now, there is not a situation that God won't meet you at and pick you up and dust you off and turn you around. There is hope, and his name is Jesus. Because here's the reality. Point number three, you cannot outrun the steadfast love of God for you. You cannot outrun God's steadfast love for you. Let's pick it up in verse seven. It says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. What did Jonah remember? He remembered the character of God. He remembered the attributes of God, his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace. And he says, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Again, the mercy seat imagery, appealing to God for help, recognizing there's no other place that he can go right now for help apart from the maker of the fish that he's in, apart from the maker and creator and sustainer of the universe. He then says, those who pay regard to vain idols, verse eight, forsake their hope of steadfast love. It's as if he's saying, I'm done worshiping at the feet of my comfort. I'm done worshiping at the feet of my fear. Those are bad gods to serve and to worship. And then verse nine, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. When you experience the mercy of God and you look back on the situation with thanksgiving and now you have resolved to do what God has called you to do, to worship him and to be obedient to his mission, it gives your life a purpose and that purpose is to glorify him because of this thing that we are about to read. And I would say this is the pinnacle verse in the book of Jonah and also the pinnacle verse in all of scripture that we're gonna see again in Revelation The end of verse nine, salvation belongs to the Lord. And verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I hope you're seeing the picture that's actually being painted here in Jonah. 
Jonah may be actually talking about his salvation from the inevitable and impending death in the belly of a fish uh, that God miraculously saved him from, but don't miss what God is showing us. Earthly consequence is one thing to be saved from, but salvation from the eternal consequence of our rebellion and our sin is an entirely different thing that he is painting the picture of here, the gift of salvation that belongs only to the Lord, and it involves the same process that we see here in this prayer of Jonah. Number one, have you recognized your grim situation of sinfulness that you cannot save yourself from the eternal penalty of your sin? Have you looked upon the mercy seat of God and appealed for mercy and forgiveness? Have you recognized the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross that saves you, that forgives you, that redeems you? Have you received the gift bought uh, by his resurrection and defeating of sin and death, his spirit that can be alive in you as a gift, the same power that raised Christ from the dead alive in you to be able to now say no to sin, to turn and confess, for, uh, to confess and turn from the sin that you are pursuing in your rebellion by his power. And I understand, listen, I just gave you some churchy language, a lot of churchy language. Can I just simplify it for you? I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. That there is a solution to the brokenness and the sin and the rebellion that we pursue in our lives that ultimately will lead to death. There is a solution to the eternal ramifications of that rebellion if we reject Christ. There's a solution to that. And it's in these four words. Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place on the cross. That is the good news. Sin leads us into rebellion. Rebellion leads us farther and farther away, ultimately condemning us to death eternally. But Jesus, he came and he lived the perfect life to become the perfect sacrifice, to then perfectly satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf because God himself killed his son Jesus so that we could have life, and it was a gift made to us by faith. Do you believe in Jesus? That is the gift that he presents to you this morning. Would you believe in Jesus? Would you believe in the gift of life that salvation belongs only to God and he's not keeping it for himself, he's giving it to us through Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him? Have you recognized your sin? Have you confessed it before God? And have you, do you believe that Jesus took your place on the cross? Is this something that you would believe or would you reject? Because it's interesting, Jesus uses the story of Jonah to condemn the Pharisees and the rejection of the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was, in, uh, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is talking about himself. Jonah's time in the fish is a symbol of Jesus' death for three days and his resurrection after the third day, which will bring life to those who receive him by faith as a gift. Jesus is like, listen, if you choose to reject this gift of all people, 
the people of Nineveh will stand in judgment against you because even they repented of the message of Jonah and yet you would, re- you would reject the message of Christ, this free gift of life because Jesus is greater than Jonah. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe God has you in this seat just for this very moment. Maybe you walked into our church for the first time. Welcome, welcome to Harvest. Maybe in this moment you are recognizing, yes, there is something that I need to deal with the Lord about in my life. There is something that I am running away from God. I'm running away from his grace. I'm running away from his mercy. I'm, trying, I'm rejecting his attributes. I'm rejecting who he is in my life right now. In this thing, whatever it is, it could be hard. It could be difficult. It can be something that uh, could be devastating. But I'm telling you, God will, is willing to meet you there. He's willing to pick you up. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just by the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If the spirit of God this morning through his word is convicting your heart of something that you need to turn from, or maybe the spirit of God for the first time ever is convicting you in your heart that you need to recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord this morning. We wanna create a space for you to be able to do that, to be able to bring that thing to the foot of the cross, to be able to recognize Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And so as I pray in a moment, if there is that thing that you need to make right with the Lord, if there's that thing that you are running from the Lord that you wanna bring before him, we're gonna make space up at the front here at the altar for you. And there's nothing magical that happens if you come forward and you may choose not to come forward. But I know in my life, in the moments where God convicted my heart and I made an internal uh, conviction, an external action, it marked an Ebenezer of my life, a memorial stone, if you will, that I can look back on and say, that was the day that God did an amazing work in my life and everything changed in that moment. I have multiple uh, of those times in my life where I can look back and that was the time that God met me in my brokenness and he picked me up. That was the time in my life where I chose in the bottom of that pit that I was going through in that time to look up just like Jonah did and God met me there with mercy and grace and forgiveness. If that's where you're at this morning, I would invite you to come forward during this prayer or during the last song and just meet with the Lord. It's just between you and the Lord. We're not gonna do anything weird or funny about it and we just want you to be able to have the space to meet with the Lord in whatever it is he's convicting you of right now because this is what it's about. We are getting we are in a world that is getting more and more and more rebellious against the ways of God. And our lives should not be marked by the world. Our lives should be marked as salt and light into a very dark world. And God in his grace gives us the same power that raised Christ from the dead to be able to work in us, to redeem us, to transform us more and more into his likeness so that we can be sent out on mission to that dark world. Would you meet with the Lord this morning? Would you lay that thing at the foot of the cross, confess it, repent of it, and allow God's love and his mercy to flood over you?
Let's pray. Father, you are gracious and merciful and loving and true and kind, God. God, I love the truth of the gospel and your grace that you would send your son by no obligation of your own, but your willingness to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sin so that we can have life with you. And God, even now, if there's something on our hearts that we know that you are convicting us of, that you are challenging us in right now to bring before the cross, to lay at the foot of the cross, to repent of, to, uh, to find your redeeming love in. God, I would just ask that we wouldn't leave here, we wouldn't leave this place without meeting with you about that. Without, in the belly of whatever fish we're in right now, that we wouldn't uh, leave here without looking up and finding our hope in you, finding mercy in you, finding your grace and your forgiveness. Because God, how, how long will we run? How long, how far will we run from you? Forgive us. Strengthen us. Give us boldness to do what you have called us to do. during this last song, if you need to meet with the Lord, we invite you to come forward and after the service we will have pastors and elders and their wives willing to pray with you as well if you would like. But use this time. We thank you God in Jesus' name.